Well, good morning, good morning. everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Another awesome Sunday. We're going to learn the Word and going to be taught the Word. And God's going to speak. And whew, Praise the Lord. It's a little cold outside, but, you know, here we are. We're all here, all nice and warm in the house. I can turn the heat up. All right. Awesome. Uh, the title of our message today is Love and Sacrifice Part 3. It'll be the closing message of the temptations of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11, and we're going to finish them. Today we're going to finish the temptations of Christ, and next week we'll get into the beginning of the Galilean ministry of Jesus, where he starts his Galilee, his, his three and a half years or three years of <clears throat> service unto the Lord. So um, before we get there, let's pray to open the message. And then uh, we'll jump in. <clears throat> Lord, we just thank you for bringing us here today. And thank you for the listeners that I have, Lord God, and those that have been supportive for this ministry, Lord, and for this new church. Uh, thank you. All I could do is thank you. Thank you, dear God, that, that you are love and there is no darkness in you. And every good gift that comes from above is from you. I pray you'd anoint the listener, and I pray you'd anoint the message, and I pray you'd prepare us to hear it, prepare me to speak it, and I pray, Lord God, that it would just go forth in an awesome way and touch hearts and minds and even touch my heart and touch my mind, Lord God, as I speak it and listen to it later. Pray you keep the enemy out, Lord God, as of course, because we're studying his techniques. Of course, Lord, he's going to come against us, <clears throat> as we saw, as we see every day in our lives, but as we especially saw last Sunday. Anyway, Lord, we love you, Lord God, and may our love for you be real and genuine. May we just continue to serve you all the days of our lives, Lord God, all those that are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you go to Matthew chapter 4. Again, we're going to be in verses 8 through 11. <clears throat> so let's read them. So again, the devil took him, Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So before we look at number two, or the, the third recorded temptation of Christ, we're going to recap temptations one and two, just so we can have a good perspective of what we're, you know, what we're going to study today. Remember, temptation one was a <clears throat> was a bi-level, multi-level attack against Christ. It was an attack against his character, who he was. It was also an attack, you know, trying to get him, uh, trying to get him to uh, be you know, tempted in his biggest need. 
remember Satan was trying to give him, you know, get him to do tricks, you know, just just do this and we'll, you know, then I'll believe you. And remember how we, we studied that over. And the second temptation was Satan basically spitting in God's face and and again attacking the, the character of Christ, as well as trying as well as uh, trying to twist God's word and you know just just you know twist it, you know, just just turn it just a little bit and just say, um, now, this is what the word says, but that's not what the word means. This is what the word means. And so we, we talked about how that we have to be careful about, you know, God's word being twisted and so on and so forth. And we have to be careful that we won't, you know, just jump on our biggest need and, and get it any way we can. And, of course, you know, we have to know that Christ is love and so on and so forth. And so now we move on to the third recorded temptation, temptation of Christ. Uh but it's important while we're looking at this third recorded temptation of Christ that we see and we don't lose sight of one one huge major thing. That Jesus, during all these 40 days, but especially during the third uh, recorded temptation here, he is nearly at the point of death hungry. Uh, if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of one major thing because... It's not ever easy to go through a temptation. It's not ever easy to go through a testing. It's always hard. But now when we add the extra level of desperate need and desperate hardship and desperate hunger and desperate pain that Christ was in, now we add insult to injury. I know you you know we know that's we know that phrase. We add insult to injury. It, it adds to our misery when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we're in desperate need, and then we're getting attacked. So we can't lose sight of that because it's it's easy, to, you know, not ever easy, but it, it, it's easier to go through a temptation when things are easier. Um, it's easier to handle any kind of attack when, we, when we're all full, when bills are paid, when things are great. Uh, so yet we see what we see here, what we can't lose sight of, is yet another level of love from Christ. He didn't just love us when it was easy and convenient to love us. He didn't just love us when he was happy, when things were going good, when everything in his life was kosher and everything was stable and just and awesome. But he loved us in the midst of, Let's put it this way. Getting your teeth pulled out with no Novocaine. He loved us in the midst of that. I mean, think of how hard it would be. It's already, I've gotten teeth pulled before in the past and had very little medication and that was hard. But now, no Novocaine at all. People pulling out teeth, drilling. What a drill. That's what this was like for Jesus to love us. Getting your teeth pulled out with no Novocaine. Hard, 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 hard. Remember Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, that only didn't mean every single solitary sin that we could ever face nowadays, or temptation we could face nowadays, but that meant, even as we look here, even to the depths of desperate hungry, desperate need, desperation, and he still went through those temptations so that at every, whether you're going to be tempted 
when things are great in your life or when you're being tempted when things are horrible in your life. Christ was tempted during both of those times of things. And so he knows how to help you through a temptation when you're being desperately, des when you're in desperate, desperate need and in, in horribleness being tempted or when it's just things are going great and just a little temptation comes your way. So please, please, please also remember that he only did these things for us. As the only reason he went through these temptations was for us. To be able to relate to us when we would go through struggles with sin. Not if. When he would be able to relate, he would be able to relate with us. Now this doesn't show you how much he really loves us. I don't know what he would have to do to show you. Maybe he would have to, you know, die so you could also have eternal life. Oh, that's right. He did give his life so that we could have eternal life as well, too. Wow. That's something else. Amazing that he would do that. The Bible says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yet when we were still sinners. Think about it. Slapping him in the face. Spitting on him. Punching him in the stomach. Kick him in the face. With our actions. With our words. With how we are. With how we were. Christ still loved us then. Hmm. Amazing love. That's why there's that song, Amazing Grace. How great the sound. How great the news. Unbelievable. Saving grace. Anyway, looked at his love. Let's look at this last attack of Satan and let's analyze it. One very amazing thing that God showed me when I was studying for this is this last attack really, really showcases the power, the ability, and the authority that Satan really has. So let's look at yet another side of how Satan works. He always progresses in his temptation levels. Satan moved up from hunger to, te to tempting for, you know, testing against God's word to, if you do this, I'll let you rule the world. He always moves up in his temptation levels as he continues to attack us. He always does that. The attractiveness and the allure to sin always goes up the scale. It never goes down the scale. Especially when we resist, as Jesus did here. He doesn't give up when we resist, as we see. Because although we have uh, James, you know, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus resisted Satan here and submitted to God, but he didn't flee right away. We don't have we don't see Satan fleeing the very first time that that Christ you know has something happen to him. We see him continue. So you know there he just keeps going. He can keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going until at a point then boom he has to leave if we continue to fight. So that's important to realize. The second major major thing that we see here is Satan's ultimate desire. What does he want? From you, what has he wanted from mankind since man began? He wants your worship. He wants you 
to serve him. And don't be deceived into thinking, well, I don't really serve Satan. Well, as we've already looked at in our other previous messages, if we're not serving Christ, we're serving ourselves. But since Christ said you're either for me or against me, you either really have to look at it like I either serve Christ and live for him and worship him, or I serve myself slash Satan, because you don't really just serve yourself. You serve sin. You serve serve Satan. So let's look at Satan's desires from the beginning. If you will, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to go down to verse 12. We're just going to read a, a couple here. We're going to read 12 through 14. You can listen along too as well. And God tells us a little bit about how Satan was since the beginning. And we read verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What did he just say? He wants to be like God. Who is God? God says, worship me. Satan wanted and wants our worship right now. Just like here, he says, if you'll do these things, I will give you the whole world if you just fall down and worship me. It never. That's what he ultimately wants. That's why he got kicked out of heaven. He wanted to be like Jesus and have people worship him. Isn't it just a plain shame that he wouldn't have just been happy just being in the presence of God and serving him? I can tell you right now, I know that this is where I want to be. And as long as I attain that, when I attain that, once I get there, I never want to leave. I cannot believe what Satan could have been thinking. Because we'll look to the end when we look and we'll see what the power of God was versus the power of Satan. But all I could, when you sit there and just think about it, just being in the presence of God and just sitting there at his feet and looking at the word and the creator, the one who formed everything, the one who formed you in your womb, the one that, the one that made heaven and earth and all creation, just being there. I know that it's just enough for me. I don't know why it just wouldn't have been enough for Satan. Amazing. But back to our text here, and let's see the serpent at work as he offers his sin. Read verse 8 with me over again. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, did you just catch that? Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. Don't be fooled here. Satan didn't take Jesus' hand and walk him up there. 
He didn't just go in his mind and make him hallucinate and boom, now we're up there mentally. No, 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 no. It didn't... Uh, says that he took him up there in person. In an instant. Beam me up, Scotty. Like in Star Trek, the old movies, like in Star Trek. They were here, and they were gone. Bam. Just like that. In an instant. In a moment. Satan transported him and, and Jesus, and they were gone. Just like that. Right on the top of an exceeding high mountain. And it wasn't just a mountain that they were standing by either. Satan used his power to just go anywhere. This is amazing and supernatural power that we're dealing with here, folks. This is not some Cracker Jacks box kind of guy here. This is not some fake trickster. This is real, supernatural, awesome, amazing power that he has. And not only did he do this, but look what else he did. He showed Christ all the kingdoms of the world and their glory all at one time. In one moment, they stood in one place. Like we're sitting here right now. One place. But all over, he showed Christ all the kingdoms of the, of the world and all their glory. Just like that. Remember, they didn't have Google Maps. They didn't have any kind of satellite imagery looking down from a satellite, looking down on the earth, and we could see this on a big screen TV. This didn't, this stuff didn't exist. This was purely by his power and his ability, which he did this. Think about it. Not only kingdoms of the world, which there were probably many, maybe a dozen, maybe more individuals, also think about the glory for a moment. Thinking about maybe still existing at this time, you know, the hanging, hanging gardens of Babylon. You know, thinking, think of the greatest things. Think of Niagara Falls in New York, between New York and Canada. That would be a glory. So not only did Jesus get a glimpse of everything in the whole world, every kingdom, every great kingdom, small kingdom, many, little, great, whatever, also, every single solitary greatness and glory of every single one of those kingdoms. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of things. That's not just a you know, couple rooms in a house that you walk through real quick. That's everything that's great in the whole world. Whew. I don't know about you. But remember what we just read in Isaiah 14, 12 a little bit ago. Don't be fooled because Satan is very powerful. God's own admission of Satan, speaking about him in Isaiah 14, 12, God said, you who weakened the nations. No one man can weaken the nations. Since the time began, no one man or major power has ever even ruled all the nations like one person over the whole world being a reign. But Satan weakened the nations. It's God's admission of him. Think of how many people that is. Billions of people. That's just right now. Not to mention 
Not to mention from the beginning of time. Billions. Billions. Probably tens of billions. Okay? That's pretty awesome. It's an awesome in a bad way, though. Unfortunately, it's awesome in a bad way. That's not all to look at here. Let's look at verse 9. It gets worse. Boy, does it get worse. And Satan said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. What? All these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me? Huh? Now, John 8.44, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of them. So, did you catch that there? He said, I will give you all these things, which means they're his. They're Satan's. All these things. Certainly, Christ could have refuted him. He could have said, no, they're not. Get behind me, Satan. Quit lying. But he didn't. He certainly did in the other ones. Look at Temptation 2. He's, it is written again. And Jesus always goes back to, it is written. It is written. It is written. He could have said, it is written. You are not. These All these things don't belong to you. All these things are God's. God made them all. They all belong to God. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. So, does Satan really rule the earth? Does Satan really, is he like the, the Lord of the earth as far as, you know, its power and its kingdoms and ruling? Absolutely he is. Jesus talking to his disciples in John 14, 30 about, a death, about his death and resurrection says, I will no longer talk with you much for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So Satan is the ruler of the earth. You see, in the beginning, we go to Genesis 1.27. You don't have to turn with me. I just a, just a couple of verses. God, it says that, it, it records, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Have dominion. So God gave that rule over to mankind in the very beginning. So it's man's, right? Eh, not quite. Remember the Garden Eden, the serpent coming, tempting Adam and Eve? Well, when they submitted to Satan and they fell for his lie, they transferred their rule from themselves and from mankind and they transferred that rule to Satan and to sin. Unfortunately. That's what happens when we submit to the lies of Satan. We give over ourselves and our authority even over ourselves unto him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. See, this buying at a price that Paul was speaking about, that Paul spoke about there, is what Christ did for us by his death and resurrection on the cross. See, because God knew that we were all sold to sin, sold to Satan, so he had to redeem us 
back, and that's what he did on the cross. He also says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, because of sin and because of Satan and because of his lies and his tricks, as we sold ourselves to sin and sold ourselves to Satan, okay, when Christ, in the Old Testament, what God had a little band-aid for that, it was called atonement. And you said they sacrificed animals to atone for their sins so that their sins could just be covered because sin has been a problem ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. But that 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 covenant that God had with man, God even spoke in his own admission that that one wasn't going to go forever, that he had to have another one, a permanent one, a final one. And that well, that final one was Christ coming and dying for, our, for the sins of the world, spilling his blood on the cross, becoming our curse, substituting, God substituted him on that cross, and all the condemnation that should fall on mankind because of sin fell on him on the cross. Through his sacrifice. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He's not saying that because he's some jerk or he's being real dogmatic. He's saying that because sin's problem has to be dealt with, and the only way that sin's problem is dealt with is by the shedding of blood. And that wrath, because of sin, has to be put somewhere. Because God is a just judge and punishment has to come because of sin. But Christ took that punishment on the cross for our sins and he spilled out his blood so that his blood could wipe away our sins. So it's not just that Christianity is the only way or Christ is the only way, but it's that because Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for the sins that mankind deserves to be destroyed because of their sins. But that's just the law of sin. So he has to be the only way. No other religion, although good religious things and good religious people do a lot of good religious things, is not the way because they have no sin answer. There's no answer in their religion for sin because God only has one answer for sin, and that's Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. So now we looked at the power and abilities of Satan. And how his tempt and how his tempt and about his temptation on Jesus, um, but we save the best for last. We save the best for last. We have to know about our enemies. See, you might may say, well, why did we spend twenty minutes or twenty five minutes talking about Satan and his power and his ability? Well, here's why we have to do that. Because you ever heard that old saying, "Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer." If we don't know about our enemy, we don't know how he works. When he comes and he attacks us, how are we going to know what to do? If we just keep a blind eye and turn a blind eye and we just ignore you know, what he does and how he attacks, when he attacks, we have no idea what he's going to do. Therefore, we're blindsided and then we're stunk. We're sunk. So now, the best for last, we're going to look at how powerful God really is and how powerful Christ really is with his response towards Satan. And woo, it just gives me goosebumps to see how powerful God really is. This is the one I'm excited about because although, look how easy it was for the Lord to cast Satan with all his power and ability and, and all those things. Look at how easy it was for Christ to just 
cast him away. Read with me verse 10. With one Satan sentence, with one sentence, Satan has to flee. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Talk about power. That's power. Jesus didn't have to move him from one place to another. He didn't have to cast him away. He didn't have to use his, his God-likeness. He just said, Bam! Get behind me, Satan. Get away from me. For it's written, Bam! Just like that. Let's look at other ways, because like I said, we saved the best for last. How powerful God is. If you want to turn with me, go to Mark chapter 5. Verses 1 through 13. Just go ahead one book. We're in the book of Matthew. If you want to go forward to the book of Mark, which is the next gospel in our line, and you can turn to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, and we're going to read it. We're going to comment on it. We're going to look at some more power that Christ has over Satan, over sin, over evil. It's a story about a Deems this man, a man of the Gadareans. Let's read it. The Bible records, then, it came, then they came, Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He was demon-possessed. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, meaning people, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. So people had tried. They bound him with shackles and chains. They often did that. And the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was on the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, we saw man's efforts to stop him. And in man's efforts to stop him, what could they do? Nothing. Man, against Satan, has no power, has no authority in and of himself. Man has nothing. People. Zero, zilch, nothing. They tried to shackle him. They tried to chain him up. In another account, in another, there's about three or four accounts of this in throughout all the Gospels. It says that neither could anyone go that way. So people couldn't even pass the way of that demon-possessed man. Why? Because he was a lunatic, cutting himself with stones, breaking apart the shackles, pulling apart the, 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 the chains. Boo! Destructive. But now, he meets the power of Christ. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, Jesus didn't even have to be like in about five or six foot when he saw Jesus from afar. He ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the most high God, son of the most high God? I implore you, I beg you, here we have a demon 
begging Jesus. I implore you by God, do not torment me. Please don't torture me. Please, on his knees in front of a man couldn't even pass this way in front of this demon, in front of this demon-possessed man. And yet, from afar, he comes, worships, begs, groveling, face in the dirt, begging, please don't torment me. Look at man, this guy, we couldn't even pass him. Christ, guy can't even stand. For he said to him, Come out of that man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Look at the second thing. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. So a large herd of swine was feeding there in the mountains. So all the demons begged, that's the third time, begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Ooh, man, permission. God had to give them permission. They didn't even have their own will to do what they wanted to do out of this man. He had to give them permission. Then after Jesus gave them permission, the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Look at three. One time he worshipped. Three times he begged. And Christ had to give him permission. That's the power of our God. Against this Satan that we looked at all his pomp and his power and his authority. That's Christ's power. Go back to our book of Matthew in chapter 15, which is just, what, eight, seven or eight verses in Matthew past chapter 4. And we'll read again 15 through 28. Because we've got to go back to Matthew anyway, because Matthew chapter 4, that's where we're at. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. And it's about this Gentile woman that shows her faith in Christ. And we're going to see... We're going to see not only is Christ powerful when he's on the scene, we're going to look at another aspect of his power. It records, verse 21, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Not just, oh man, she's she a little crazy. She's severely demon possessed but he answered her not a word and his disciples came and urged him saying send her away for she cries out after us but he answered and said I was not sent except to the lost house of Israel and she came and worshipped him saying Lord help me so this woman daughter severely demon possessed he doesn't answer her in the beginning but yet after she comes and worshipped him he answered and said it is good or is it good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs? And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And look at here, it records, And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Okay, she missed it. Jesus is sitting there, disciples are with him, woman comes, begs him for something, he answered not, because she wasn't an Israelite, 
He, she worships him saying, please help. My daughter's severely demon-possessed. He says a little something to her. She begs him again, yes, Lord, I, but I trust in you. I have faith in you. I know you can do it. Please do it. Her daughter wasn't even with her. Yet Jesus said, good to go. Your faith has made you well. Her daughter was healed from that very moment on. Look at that. Jesus didn't even have to be where the demons were. And they left the little girl. He was completely gone. He was completely separated from that woman. And they were gone. That's his power from afar. He didn't have to even be with the daughter. He didn't even have to see the daughter. He didn't even have to speak to the demon himself. What did he do? He spoke from afar. And boom, the demons had to flee. Woo! So although Satan has all that pomp and is really powerful, next to Christ, he's a pipsqueak nobody. Isaiah 40.12, God declares, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Wow! That's how big God is. That's how powerful God is. God is bigger, I promise. In Revelation 19, 17-21, Christ destroys a satanic rebellion where Satan and his demons come up against him and all like a whole bunch of the people in the world were coming against Christ in Revelation 19, 21. And all Jesus had to do to defeat the rebellion was open his mouth. A sword proceeded from his mouth and, and completely destroyed the whole rebellion against him. That's all he had to do. Boom, just like that. And we could go on and on and on and on and on about how powerful and how awesome God's power is, especially against Satan. But unfortunately, you know, as a course of time, we got to move on. So, all I could say is, wow, Satan doesn't have a chance against Christ. So where does that leave us? Let's look at how we play into the factor. The Bible says that the same power that Jesus has against Satan is available for Christians, those who follow Christ, those who abide in him today. 1 John 4, 4, John declares that he, Christ, that is in me, or can be in you, is greater than he that is in this world. Christians, be ready for that temptation that's going to come. Please be ready for those temptations that were going to come. Satan will take whatever you give him if you don't stop him, like Christ did in our examples, like he did in our examples here. All we have to do, submit to God, like James says, and then profess openly. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. And then simply because you're knowing your word and you're in your word and you're digging in your word, speak about that verse, whatever one applies to however Satan is messing with you. And guess what? Tell Satan where to go. Because that's all we got to do. Get behind me, Satan. And he cannot stand because the same Christ, the same Christ lives today and the same power that was in Christ is available right now for people. We got to tell Satan where to go.
Now, unfortunately, not everybody that's alive today is in the okay category with Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, we read that uh, many will go to destruction while few will be saved. So many people are in the category of not okay with Jesus. So how do we know if we're okay, if we're not okay? Well, we have to go to the Word in John 8, 31 and 32. And Jesus speaks again and he says to some Jews who believed in him. Notice they believed in him. They had a belief in him. But he says, he, he says more than just belief, there's another level. And he says to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, if, you abide in my word. You are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So it's easy to tell if you're there, if you're not there. If you're not there, if you're there, look at here. It's real easy to tell. In your daily life, does it reflect the word of Christ? Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow his teachings? Do you abide in his word? If you're honest with yourself, do you really do the things that Jesus said to do and really live your life the way that he lived his? He tells us right down in that same chapter of John 8, we go down to 34, and he tells us, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not abide in the father's house, but a son abides forever. Paul is speaking about, of course, a practicing of a lifestyle. Because everybody does sin. Unfortunately, we all do still commit some sin. But what are you practicing? What is your way of life? Because when you look at what Jesus said in 31 and 32 of 8, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide, that means to live in, that means to serve, that means to not only know it, but to live it. It's so important that we understand that the implications of not following Christ, not only is there eternal condemnation because you choose to reject the word of God now, but the, the other implication is, is look at here, look at, remember what we talked about, how powerful Satan really is. If you don't belong to Christ and trust in him and live for him, then you belong to Satan and sin, the ruler of this world. And you're a slave to sin. That is no joke. Satan has no power against Christ. But to those who are not abiding in the Lord, to those that choose not to abide their lives in Jesus, Satan owns you, and he's very evil and wicked and powerfully scary. And he wants to take you to hell, or he's going to be forever. He is a powerful deceiver. Genesis 3.13, he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. And she heard the audible voice of God and walked in the cool of the garden with God. And Satan was still a powerful deceiver and got her to eat the fruit. In Revelation 20.10, Satan deceives, it's the, the Bible records that Satan has at that point deceived the whole earth. And this is after Christ Jesus 
reigned while Satan was locked in an abyss for a thousand years. Every man on earth had to be under his authority and his rule, Christ. And Satan was locked away. Satan gets out after a thousand years and goes out and deceives the whole world. And basically, the whole world comes against Christ at the very end of everything. He did that to them. Just like people are deceived today. So many people say, I'm this and I'm that and I love Jesus or I believe in Jesus or I'm a Christian. And they don't abide in the word and they don't live the word. And James says, faith without works is dead. I can't just believe in Jesus. I can't just believe in who he said he was. I have to make a decision to take that belief and say, I'm not going to just believe anymore. I give myself. Here's myself, God. Because if you don't belong, if you don't put yourself underneath Christ's death in his resurrection, in his sacrifice for your sins, and he, you don't allow him to buy you, then you belong to Satan. You belong to Satan. So I close with this, please. This is the third part we're looking at the temptations of Christ. The third part of all these temptations. We looked at how much Jesus loves us. How much he loved us then. And that the fact that he still allows things to go on to this day. Waiting to show people how much he loves you. And you don't turn to him. I don't understand. When we see the powerful expressions of love that Christ showed us. And you still don't turn to him. Is life, is your sin that exciting, that awesome? And has anybody loved you in the way that we looked at what Jesus did for you? There's no one on earth that's ever lived, that lives now, or that will ever live, that will ever love you as much as he loves you. And his desire, 2 Peter 3, 9, he desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. He desires everybody to stop just having a belief in him and to take a step on that belief and surrender their lives to him and cry out to him. That's not a prayer. It is a prayer, but it's not just some simple, oh, Please help me. And it's not an escape from uh, hell, but it is a realizing that I'm not with Jesus and I need to be because Satan owns me right now. And I don't want to be on my side or Satan's side. I, I want to be with Christ because he loves me. And so I invite you right now to think about your life and to think about how you live and to think about the things that you do. And look at them, and if they're not exemplifying Christ in your everyday life, in the ways that you live, in the words that you say, the TV that you watch, the music that you listen to, how you treat other people, if, if you can't say, I do those things like Jesus do those, does those things, then you're not in a good spot. You're not in a good place. Cry out to the Lord right now in your hearts and just say, Jesus, I need you. God in heaven, please save me. Because I don't want to be this way anymore. And I don't want to belong to Satan. I want to belong to Christ. For he paid that price for me. He redeemed me. I need Jesus. And cry out to him right now. Fall on your knees. And cry out to him in your hearts. And please say, God save me.
I want to be saved. I want to be yours. I want you to own me. Not just to believe in you. And Christians, be ready. Because Satan's a-coming. Satan is a-coming. And he wants you. And his desires for you. He wants you to worship him and serve him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord God, that you've given me this word. And thank you that you've given all, all of us your word. And I just praise you, dear God, for it. And I praise you, dear God, that although Satan is big, although Satan's powerful, although Satan has that authority and he is the ruler of this world and the ruler of the airwaves of this world, that although he is that big and that powerful, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're bigger. Thank you that you're bigger. That he's a pipsqueak nothing next to you. And I don't have to be afraid of him. And nobody has to be afraid of him anymore if they're in you. And I pray that all those listening would realize how much you love them and realize how safe they are in you and abiding in you and go from just a belief in you, Lord Jesus, to a surrender unto you where they abide in you where now they have the power of the living God living inside of them. Where they not only would be saved from their sins, but they would also have that power that Satan is a pipsqueak against them. And I pray you'd save all those listening, dear Jesus, that aren't saved. And I pray for Christians that are listening to, Lord God, that they would use the power that you've given them Get behind me, Satan. You have no authority over me. Get behind me, Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. And maybe walk in that power and that authority that you give us. I love you and I praise you, dear Jesus, and I thank you. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.